we are talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And we're really going to start talking about it next week. We're going to start with love. We've been getting our minds and hearts around it, and it seemed, of course, appropriate today that we would talk about one of the fruits of the Spirit, the church, on Pentecost Sunday, this great day we celebrate the church and are thankful for it. It was really our church birthday. Um, when, when we started City Preds, it's always confusing to figure out when did we start. Did we start the first Sunday we ever met? Did we start when we started going every week? Did we start when we particularized? So there were all these float-around dates, and we just said Pentecost. That's when we're celebrating, so we bring out a cake. Happy birthday, City Prez. Happy birthday, City of Hope. Some of you are around when the church started, and that's your wonderful, great that you've stuck all these years, and some of you are new, like me. And so God melds us together with our different stories as he, he loves not just the church, but this church. Today I want to talk to you first, though, about overhyping stuff. You know how this goes. I haven't found all these places yet in Maryland. I'm sure the best whatever is, you know. You want to know where the home of Euros is? Stillwater, Oklahoma. According to the Euro store right there in Stillwater, that's the home of them. There's a place where we lived in Oklahoma City that said you've never had pizza until you had Pizza Zone. A little hole-in-the-wall place. I never wanted to ever eat Pizza Zone from there, right? So, you know, we, we got these hype men that go out there and hype it all up. Maybe that's just overstating, or maybe it's lying, actually lying. <laughs> On the other hand, you can go the other way. I, I made t-shirts for RUF one time that, that just said, RUF, not too shabby. Or when people visit the church, sometimes they'll say, how was it? And before they answer, most people will say it was great, even, even if it wasn't great. Uh, to the pastor who just did the church, that's what they normally get. So I'll say, hey, we're just going for non-terrible. Did we get over non-terrible? Low expectations are easier to get over, right? Some of us have been taught that. So what do you think about the church as a whole? Has it been oversold? to you? Have people told you how great it's going to be? Maybe not just this church, but the church. Is this me? Am I, I don't think I'm doing that. But we can undersell the church too. Just have so low expectations that we, we don't really care. Um, sort of prepare to be disappointed. And so we're thinking today from Acts 2 about the, the church, the fruit of the Spirit of the church when did the church begin? Well, on the one hand, this is a very appropriate place to say the church started in Acts 2, but really it's the covenantal community. There's an Old Testament church that began when the first believers started gathering. And so, so God has a both-end covenantal community, the, the church before Christ ascended and the church after Christ ascended, and we learn that they're going to be molded, melded together, engrafted together in the church. So, so, so Acts 2, of course, has a preceding chapter, Acts 1. And, and remember, in Acts 1, the resurrected Jesus is doing ministry. He has died on the cross for our sins. He has raised from the dead. 
And then he spends this time ministering to people. People saw him. Other people were raised from the dead. In other words, his resurrection was substantiated. You could go talk to people who had seen him and talked to him. Maybe they had heard that this had happened, and they're like, come on, come on. People don't raise from the dead. We know it's not true. And then they see him. They might have thought, well, did you die? Well, a lot of people saw that happen. He did miracles. He did, he did teaching. In, in Acts 1.8, he says, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and you will be my witnesses Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, which is here. We are the ends of the earth. These concentric circles that come all the way out to to lands that no one who he's talking to could ever have dreamed of. But Jesus had created them. And so these disciples and and the followers... Disciples proper, but the the disciplers, those who were following Jesus, were waiting and wondering and witnessing. And then it happened on the day of Pentecost. What is Pentecost? Well, that word pente, any of you play pente? Remember that game? Five little stones and you try to steal everybody's out well that means five and so it's 50 days after the passover now this wasn't a thing that that got started when when the church was started like uh, we're talking about it it's a jewish feast see it came after the passover now that's the same day when Jesus did ministry and had the Lord's Supper and then died and rose again. It's 50 days after his death and resurrection. But it's 50 days after the, the Passover, which was instituted back in, in Exodus. When, when God told his people to paint above the doorpost the blood of the Lamb. And that was the last of the, the plagues. And Pharaoh said, get out of here. And the people were, were free. That Passover... Jesus had, had taken that Passover and had become the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world at the Last Supper. And then 50 days later, they had a feast. They, this is also when they celebrated the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments. And they connected those two things, the giving of the law after Passover, and then they had a feast where people would bring their first fruits. You know, it's around this time of year, late spring, early summer. And so they had already planted crops, and they were getting the first yields. And so they would hold on to them and then bring them all together to eat and to celebrate God's atonement, sacrifices, God's abundance the bringing together of God's people. Free people. God had worked so mightily in their lives to come and, and celebrate and be thankful for all He had done for them. So there's a lot going on in their brains. And then, the wind. The mighty rushing wind. 
Certainly in Oklahoma, that makes a lot of sense. The wind comes sweeping down the plains. The fire. There are these brush fires in Oklahoma all the time. And, and, and there are these signs, you know, that say, do not drive into smoke. Because when you drive into smoke, you don't know, you can't see nothing. And a lot of people go barreling in that smoke 75 miles an hour. And guess what? Somebody has stopped. And if you do that, you hit that person. You never see it coming. And that can stack up. And people can die. So you stand back. We actually, Julie and I were driving to um, somewhere, D.C. maybe. And there was a, a little bit of smoke. And I was like, oh, my instincts are to stop. But it wasn't, it was, it wasn't the same as the completely dense smoke. But I was remembering all those times. So they, they, they felt and heard the wind. They saw and felt the fire. And they heard languages. Their own languages. Now I want to stop here and, and mention something. Um, it's important for not only City of Hope, but every church we need to just remember that we have closed-handed issues in our church and in our lives, and we have open-handed issues. Like, closed-handed ones would be more like, uh, we're going to fight about this. Like, the Trinity would be one. Okay? Um, but then we have open-handed issues. Like, you know, how old is the earth? Or... Um, even not just biblically, but what are we going to do with our kids in school? And so we don't want to put those at the middle. Like, there's a core issues, and then there's like convictions that you have, that, that you hold, and then there are like charitable just conversations on the outside. Or another way to put it is there's like foundational truths, and then there are, I would even say, denominational distinctives. Being Presbyterian, being Reformed, for example, or whatever. And then there are preferences that we hold, like the way we like to hear worship, our, our styles. And then there's the culture. Like, we could have all of those things, and then it's different if we're here or if we're in another country or in 100 years from now. What we don't want to do is take these things, like speaking in tongues, and put them in the middle. No one can do it, or everyone has to do it. That's putting it in the middle. And so we can be charitable. I, I don't think that happens a lot at City of Hope. I, I'd be a little surprised. If, if it, oh, there's one. Excellent example, right on cue. Now remember, they did hear them in their own languages. So that's important. It wasn't, from my understanding, an unknown prayer language. You know, in Oklahoma, we have Oral Roberts University. There's a lot of that in the waters. And in our church, we had a lot of people that grew up in that. And so we, we just would say, this is an open-handed issue. We are not going to fight about this. We, we have preferences. We have thoughts. But it's okay. But, you know, on the other hand, some of us have the preference or we've been raised it's got to be completely silent. So, so we're not only not going to speak in tongues. We are not going to say amen or clap or smile. Now, we've gotten, we are not like that. Amen? 
at, at City Press, there, there, I don't know when this happened, there was a couple kids and they started coming up and dancing during the music when we were singing. And you know what, of course, I mean, it drove some people bonkers. They hated it. I heard it all. Disrespectful, distracting, all this. And I would say, listen, you know what, I want kids to like church. I, that's a cultural thing that we have come up with, and I get it, and it can be distracting. But, you know, choose to not be distracted or sit on the other side. There's ways. To, for me, I'm not going to go up and say, stop dancing. I'm not, I'm not doing that. So, so you know, we, we can experience different cultural expressions or personal expressions. I don't know what this was like. None of us do. This is going to be a cool thing. Maybe when we get to heaven and say, replay this tape. Wind, fire, languages. Just one more aside to an aside would be, I tend to think that these miracles and even uh, some of this tongue speaking work are clustered around Bible writing. If you notice who's writing the Bible, a lot of times when that person is doing a ministry or when that Bible is being written, there are signs and wonders around that event, around that person, authenticating this writer, this prophet, this author, inspired by the Lord, who's reading, writing things that we now read. And it's not consistent all the way through. So I don't think Acts 2 is normative. It's not normal, right before Acts 2, that Jesus was resurrected and, and not yet ascended. That's not normal. So it's, it, we don't want to make Acts 2, all of it, what we should see today. But the Holy Spirit is at work. Still at work. Drawing His people to Himself. Authenticating Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not only at work, the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not an it. It's not a thing. He's not a concept. He's not a power. He's a person. They're the persons of the Trinity. Now, I always tell people you get 30 seconds to explain the Trinity, and after that, you're done because you're going to do heresy immediately after 30 seconds. We cannot fully understand this. It's one of the crazy, amazing mysteries of the Bible. And here is the Holy Spirit. Now, let, now let's talk about this sermon. Peter. Peter, if you've been in church, you know about him. Wonderful person, uh, disciple, one of my favorites. I tend to think he and Jesus were the closest. You know, Jesus was closest with uh, James and John and Peter. And I think Peter was really almost maybe uh, Jesus' best friend. Not going to go to bat for that necessarily all the time. But, but Peter's the, also the one who says whatever he's thinking. But Peter's also the one who walked on the water. Peter's the one who said, I will never betray you. And Jesus said, when rooster crows three times, you'll already have done it. And that's what happened, remember? The night where Jesus was taken in and was starting to go on trial. Three times, Peter said, I never knew him. I don't know who you're talking about. I am not with him. And the rooster crowed. 
sort of sealing that moment that, re- that Peter was not nearly what he thought he was. And so the rooster then becomes this, this symbol, really, of, of heartbreak. I mean, I would say that was Peter's worst night, the dark night of Peter's soul. I was in Annapolis uh, having lunch with a new acquaintance Friday and looking around at an art store because I was a little early, and there were this woman, and she, she had these rooster paintings, and I'm always drawn to them. And she was too, but then she was telling the store owner, you know, like, she said, I love rooster paintings. I hate roosters. Actual living live roosters are the worst they're terrible. If they would just crow when the sun came up, okay. No, they think the sun comes up at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. They're mean. They, they just have no manners. That's the way roosters are, right? They're annoying. Somewhat unnecessary. <laughs> That's why the rooster is holding a cross. In and of itself, the rooster is a denier, like we all are, clings to the crucified Savior. So when, when Jesus knew that Peter did that, he looked at Peter and loved him. And so then Peter becomes transformed because Peter's then holding that cross. Peter understands that redemption has come to him. The new day has dawned and that he is a different person. He, he's forgiven. He's restored. He's changed. And he's emboldened. What wondrous love is this, right? How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. As we sing, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's joy. Be thou my vision. Peter stands up. Same mouth. 50 days after he had denied Christ, and he'd seen all these things, and he says, this is a good time for a sermon, y'all. Preaches this sermon. Talks about Joel. It's not very normal. Peter, Peter knew his, his Bible. He talks about David. You know, he starts the whole sermon like, y'all, these people aren't drunk. I know it's 5 o'clock somewhere. No, this is not what's happening. I, I see wine up here, but this is, not, this is not what's going on. This is a manifestation of the, the Holy Spirit coming down in us in a remarkable way. Tells them about what he'd done. His ministry, teaching, and then his resurrection and how God had had raised him from the dead. Now I want you to think about a great sermon that you've heard. Besides the last three months, of course, you know. Well, think about a great sermon you heard, you've heard. But, but really, most of the time, sermons are like regular, healthy meals. Normally, church is a regular, healthy diet. It's not always a gourmet meal. There are times when you hear an especially great sermon or or there's an especially great worship service, right? Just like you go to a really fancy restaurant, but that's not our normal. But on the other hand, sometimes you got to go to or even McDonald's or even whatever. It's just, this just happens. 
you can maybe say, I don't really want that to be normal for me because if I do, I've watched supersize me. You know, I see what happens to our bodies, our health. If, if that's what we all only eat, so you avoid it. But there are times like, I got to grab something. So between fast food and gourmet, healthy, staple. That's the way this normally is. But can you think of your favorite food? And when your mom makes it, or your dad makes it, or your grandma makes it, or your favorite restaurant makes it, oh, you are so overjoyed. Right? Is there a sermon like that you can think of where God has come straight to your heart and you were convicted? Or you were encouraged? You were overjoyed to hear of the Father's love for you and and His invitation for you in? Where it brought you to tears, maybe even up at the table? How good it is to be in fellowship with God and one another? Because there should be times like that too. Holy Spirit is working in a totally different way and maybe it's, it's with all of us. Or maybe it's just you on that special day's particular time. And you become overwhelmed. God's love for you. So what do we learn about God then in this passage? Well, the Holy Spirit and, and God is like a wind. Remember when God was leading his people out, there was a cloud, a pillar of a cloud. That's not exactly wind, but it's in the nature of wind. That, that pneuma, the word spirit, is pneuma, breath, air. And we talked about last week where in John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, the wind goes where it will, and it draws people, it makes people into born-again Christians. a friend in high school and we called him Cool Breeze because you never knew when he would show up. Spirit is at work. You can see its effect. The God and the Holy Spirit are also like fire. Same leading pillar of a cloud by day but fire by night. Remember when Moses saw God, he saw him as a burning bush, fire. Fire can ravage, just like a hurricane can ravage or a tornado can ravage. A a fire gone wrong can destroy so much. There is judgment in wind, and there is judgment in fire, but both are beautiful. One warms, one cools. And then we're drawn to them. Oh, the Holy Spirit and God also uses words. They use words. With prophets, laws, the Bible, poems, metaphors, examples. And in John 1, we read what? Jesus is the Word. Made flesh, manifested among us. Jesus is the Word, the Logos, 
the overarching thing, the, the, the principle of all time. And many commentators will say right here, Acts 2 is a reversal of the judgment of the Tower of Babel. When the people were trying to build this tower to God and they were all together and all unified, all speaking one language, and God said no, and he gave them all these languages which separated them. Now he's bringing them back together, unifying, the unifying work of the Holy Spirit so they can understand each other in their own language. Reversing the curse, getting us to that, closer to that Revelation 7-9, all people, tribes, and languages, worshiping God together. The Holy Spirit and God are also God of the harvest. We bring our first fruits, our tithes and our offerings, our pictures of our whole lots. He, everything we have is His, and so we come and we bring some of it for the mutual benefit of each other, to praise the Lord that He's given us so much. But the biggest harvest is our own souls. God is at work all over these towns and, and cities and in the homes and, and businesses and families in Maryland, in the region, in the nation, in the world. So Acts 1.8 is moving. Spirit is, is going. And so even just think about how we're connected to each other. I to- have told you my story of how I've gotten here, but I'm sure you have a story. And so now I'm a part of this story, however briefly. And, and you're going to be connected to Jonathan and Paige song. Amen. And, and you have been and still are always will be connected to Pastor Ince and, and Kim. And you were and you are and you always will be connected to, to Pastor Wood and his wife and family. So the church isn't about you. Or me. We're included in the church. We're members of the church. We're connected to each other. But it's so much bigger concept than, than even just us. It's about the Lord, right? Holy Spirit gathering us together to, to feed us and encourage us and, and convict us. And so we can hope not in ourselves. Not in a gourmet sermon. But he's rescuing Peter's and Paul's as sinners. So our response can be, can be to sneer at this. There's so much church hurt. We see it in the news all the time. We experience it personally Paul Peter says whoever calls upon the Lord shall be saved and we need saving and of all places we need healing healing fire healing wind healing words otherwise it's gibberish 
and we're separated. But if Jesus resurrected from the dead, and this is what we even read here in Acts 1 and Acts 2 is, is true. Not wishful thinking, not a, a fairy tale, fanciful thing, certainly not a, a lie, but if it's, it's true that Jesus did all of these things that, that Peter talks about, that he was the penalty, the lamb, the sacrifice, so that we could have atonement and be forgiven and set free and be out of bondage and out of slavery. He, he's taken all that. Is that overhyped? One artist had a song when he said, if you love me, Jesus talking, if you love me, you will love my church. Which is the gospel community, a a new community where we're connected to each other. And then you know what happens exactly next after this passage? In Acts 2.42, there's five verses together where these people that, that just had this happen were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were breaking bread and making prayers. They saw awesome signs. They heard all they had. They sold their possessions to give them to the poor, the needy among them. They distributed the proceeds. They attended the temple, the church. They met in the homes to break bread, the church. They praised God. They favored people. And God added to their number daily Whoa. That's just as much as the fruit of the Spirit as this Pentecost that we're reading. So, brothers, sisters, what shall we do? Whatever language you need to hear it, here's what you should do. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. The promise is to you, for your children, and for all who are far off, like us, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Amen.